Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, so if you have Bibles, you want to follow along, Mark 5, we're going to read just the, like some of the best stories in Mark. Um, I'm not saying a lot because Mark's really special, but we're going to read verses 22 to 43 and then pray and then uh, we'll jump in. Oh, I don't think I've introduced myself. My name is Matthew and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. We should say hi afterwards if you've never met. Uh, we've never met. I would like to get to say hey and, and, and welcome you to our church. Um, I'm going to read verse 22 and following. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that, we may, uh, so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her diseases." And immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touches me? And he looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then they put him outside. Then he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and, and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful story. We thank you, Father, um, that you show us a way to live our life um, through the life of Jesus that is so strikingly different and slower and <laughs> unhurried and present. And we just pray that we would have open ears to hear today. And God, we want to pray for those who are digging through rubble right now in Miami, um, looking to find whatever remaining living bodies there are under the collapsed condominium. We ask, Father, for strong hands and for you to point them in the right directions. We pray for the thousands of people that are waiting to hear news of their family. We pray for your peace. And we pray for all those in the world right now, God, who are in similar situations, wrapped around the axis of fear confusion, anxiety. God, we pray for those in this room right now who are wrapped around the axle of fear 
and confusion and anxiety. We pray that today we would see in Jesus a way to move through those things. Um, Lord, in a way that would be life-giving. So we give you this time. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this story has so many really good things in it. I think we could probably, without exaggerating, teach like four sermons on this text. I have 16 minutes and four seconds, three seconds, two seconds. So I'm going to talk about one thing uh, in the time that I have. And it's the thing that maybe stood out to me the most. It's the way that Jesus moves through the story. He's just so unhurried the entire time. He's just so at ease. And I find it to be remarkable because he is in the midst of something that is very chaotic and hurried and harried. We, uh, I think today, could learn how to slow down a good bit. I remember when the pandemic hit 15 months ago, and we were all saying things like, when we get back to normal, we're going to be different, you know? I remember I went from going, uh, we had four kids in four different schools with carpool drop-off and pick-up at each one of them, everywhere from Grant Park to Belvedere Park and Avondale Estates and North Decatur, uh, like, like, yeah, North Medlock Park, and we just lived in the car, and then all of a sudden it was like, boom, no one's moving. Like, we're all just home doing puzzles, and we don't know how long this is going to last. And there was this thought that on the other side of this, like, there was going to be a different way of living that we were all going to try to do. How is that going for you? How's your inbox right now? How's your notifications on your phone? How busy is your heart? I don't know about you, but I have found it almost impossible not to get immediately sucked back into the riptide of just the busyness and the urgency of the now, of what needs to be done and what is before us. It's just so easy. Before we even know it, we find ourselves swept up in all the hurriedness again. We live in the world of the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland who says to Alice, now here you see it takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. And all God's people said, amen. Today, what we're going to do is we want to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus' disciples and imagine this scene the way he, they saw it. To be a disciple, remember, is, is not to be a person who believes certain things, but a person who's learning from someone how to live life, how to become like that person. And so his disciples are watching Jesus in this frantic, anxious scene respond in a way that is meant to shape and change uh, the way that we respond to anxious, frantic situations. So in this story, we're introduced immediately to a very important man, the leader of the synagogue in a little tiny rural Jewish town, which is to say, like probably the most important person in town, the leader of the most important place of this little rural Jewish town. And he is a very popular man. He's a very well-known person. And his daughter, is dying and he goes to her, goes to Jesus and he says, will you please help? Please, please, please. You can imagine like the anxiousness, the franticness, the energy behind it. Like, please, you're my only hope. I have no other option. She is, it says, quote, at the point of death. So the, the girl is passing away in his house and he leaves her. Imagine the decision to leave her. He leaves his little girl. He runs as fast as he can through the crowd. He gets to Jesus. He finally finds him. He has his attention. Please come. My daughter's dying. And Jesus says, yes. And can you imagine the relief of that moment? Like, oh, there's a shot. We might make it. My daughter might live to see dinner time. Come on, come on, come on, come on. This is what you would do. Come on, come on, come on. And you just grab his hand and begin to pull him. But Jesus, it says, is surrounded by a crowd. 
He's trying to get through this crowd. But I mean, have you ever left a United game and tried to move quickly? Nobody moves quickly through crowds except for little people. Everyone else is just sort of stuck. You're moving at a very slow pace. You can't hurry things up no matter how hard you try. And you can just, if you, if you just enter with your imagination, imagine what's going on in Jairus' heart in this moment. The energy, come on, the internal narrative, we're going to be too late, we're going to be too late, we're going to be too late. And then all of a sudden, as they're moving, Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me just now, puts the brakes on, slams the whole thing to a halt, makes everyone stop what they're doing, and begins to have a question how in the crowd of a United game getting out, someone touched his clothes. And then we're introduced to this other person, a woman. This woman is not the leader of the synagogue. This woman's not even a man. This is a little, unknown, ceremonially unclean, outcast woman who has lived in seclusion for a dozen years, doesn't know anyone, doesn't have anyone, is poor, has given all her money to doctors who've done nothing for her, and she, in a last desperate like effort, has gone and said, maybe if I touch his clothes, maybe then. Now, can you imagine what Jairus is feeling in this moment? Because if any of you are doctors, and we have doctors in this church because we're close to lots of hospitals, many of you are very good uh, people to have around, and I'm very grateful you're here. But if you're a doctor and you're doing triage and you have a person with a 12-year chronic issue and another person with an acute issue who is on the table, who's going to die any moment, you don't treat the 12-year chronic condition. You say, I'll be back. I think, I think you'll still be here, but there's someone I have to go and treat right now. It would be like malpractice. But Jesus instead gives all of his attention, all of his focus to this woman. And Jairus, while this is all happening, has the moment that he was fearful would come. Some people from his house come and say, your daughter is gone. She didn't make it. And you can just, you can feel it, right? Just feel it and, oh, like we didn't do, I didn't do it. And I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there as she went. I didn't even get to see her one last time. I didn't even get to kiss her one last time. And Jesus, aware of all this, hears it, looks at Jairus and says, don't fear, just believe. Now, no one in the crowd at that point has the advantage that you and I have because we know the story. We know how the thing goes. We have that omniscient narrative voice, and we know, hey, it's Jesus. Death's not a big deal if you're Jesus. But if you don't have that, if you're just Jairus or Peter or James or John or anyone else in this crowd, all you feel at this moment is defeat, loss. It didn't happen. He wasn't able to stop it. If you're in the crowd that day, you're looking at Jesus, and you're not asking anything except, why are you moving so slow right now? Why are you so unhurried right now? Um, there was a Chinese pastor, one of the great Chinese pastors in the last century, a guy named Wing, uh, Wang Mingdao. He was a persecuted man, spent time in prison under communist China regime. Um, he was a well-respected and well-loved and had many apprentices. And one day, one of his young apprentices was talking with Mingdao, and Mingdao uh, supposedly said to him, young man, how do you walk with the Lord? 
And this man began to do what you would want to do if you're trying to impress uh, a very powerful person or a very well-respected person. He begins to list off his disciplines. He talks about how he prays all the time and fasts and reads his Bible and goes to church and, and is in community and does all these sorts of things. And Ming Dao says, wrong answer. To walk with God, you must go at a walking pace. Um, it's generally known and understood that the average human walking pace is, is about three miles an hour. Three miles an hour. And this is, I think, interestingly, just to be reminded, Jesus didn't own a car. He didn't have a bike. Um, he actually, we only know one time he was ever even on the back of an animal. Every single time Jesus moved anywhere, he was moving at three miles an hour. That was how he moved through the world, at a walking pace. And we use the language of walking with God, but most of us actually mean like lagging behind or running ahead and then trying to pull him to catch up. But Jesus invites us in this text, I think, to just be like, to just move at three miles an hour. In uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine, there's that, te- that great verse, probably most of you are familiar with it, where Jesus is like, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Eugene Peterson translates that verse and the message this way. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. To be a disciple is to be someone who's learning from Jesus how to move in an unhurried, non-anxious way through the world, even through chaos, even through anxiousness, even through hurry. What are you hurried over right now in your life? Like, what's stirring the anxiety in you right now? What isn't happening fast enough for you in your life? Finding the right person, getting married, getting pregnant, finishing a program, getting the promotion, getting the house. What is the thing that you're stuck behind that keeps you awake, that wakes you up? I, was, um, I had the gift this week of getting to go to the beach for a week with my family. And um, we, were, uh, we, we were right along the beach. You know like at low tide when you, like, you leave the boardwalk and then the ocean is like, like a mile, you know? It's not, but it feels like it is. And you're walking across hot sand. And if you're a dad, you're carrying about 70 pounds of gear. And, um, and then you're dragging behind you little kids who are holding um, boogie boards who are being blown over because of the wind. And I tend to, in those moments, just try to put my head down and just power through it. But my six-year-old, Asher, was not having that. He's an Enneagram 8, we've decided. And he's, uh, he's made it his life's mission to challenge every line we ever draw or to challenge everything ever, forever and ever. And so Asher is kind of behind me, screaming at me, and I'm trying to push through just to get to the beach, just to get to the sun, get to the, get to the place, get to relaxation. And I, and I realize, like, in a moment, I'm not being a very good parent right now. Like, I'm not being a very good person right now. My kid's being blown away, you know, and I'm just sort of, like, plowing through. And, like, what if it was possible in a moment like that that God is saying, there's a, there's a way for you to see this moment as a grace that's trying to slow you down? Because you're always thinking about how to get to where you want to be because that's where you are. And your mind is there. Your heart is there. Your emotions are there. But I have you right here right now. 
trudging across the sand at six-year-old pace. That's actually how I want you moving right now. Can you imagine that maybe the things slowing you down right now are actually graces, ways that God is intentionally pushing you back? We just sang together, um, you come at the right time, never behind. And how many of us really believe that? Because so much of our life is like, but you're late so much. Jesus is inviting you and me to be slower, to be unhurried. One of Dallas Willard's students asked him a question once. And if you are new here, you will hear that name a lot because we love Dallas a lot. We have his books for sale. Dallas is amazing. But they asked him, Dallas, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would you say? And he did not say compassionate, gentle, forgiving, graceful, um, king, lord, lion. He didn't do any of that. Lamb. He said, he thought about it for a while, because that's how Dallas responded to every question. And then he just said, relaxed. Jesus was relaxed. He just wasn't ever frantic. He just never was rushed. How did Jesus do that? You see, the way that I tend to think is like if I'm busy, if I'm, moving, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm moving fast, if I'm hurried, it means I'm busy. And if I'm busy, that must mean I'm important. Because if I'm busy, it means I have demands on my time. If I'm busy, it means that like there's a lot of important stuff that I have to juggle. And so I, that's a sort of internal narrative. I don't say that part out loud. I don't say, got to go, super busy, very important. But I just tend to think it myself. Like it's inside my heart. Like I'm so busy. I'm so important. Was Jesus important? Thank you. Some of you are nodding like, is that a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. Was Jesus important? Yes, he's very important. Maybe the most important person to ever live. Maybe. You know, it's up for debate, but I don't think it is. Most important person to ever live. Was Jesus busy? Yes, he was insanely busy. If Jesus was alive today, do you know what his inbox would look like? Every morning he'd wake up, thousand new messages, his phone going off all the time. Everyone clamoring for him constantly. Jesus was being pulled out in all directions. He had to sneak away and find quiet places because people always wanted to be near him. Was Jesus a busy, important person? Yes. How do you move through a busy, important life slowly? Well, I think Jesus is doing one thing here that's important for us to notice. He is differentiated in this moment. And that's, that's language that we got from, from our friend, um, um, I can't think of his name right now. Failure of nerve guy. Um, but he, he reminds us that what, what differentiation is, is not detachment. It's not that I don't care about you. I'm attached to you, but I also am in my own space, which means that your anxiety is not becoming my anxiety. Like the weather inside of your internal system is not becoming my internal weather. I'm able to be like Jesus, asleep in the boat in the storm. And I can live my life that way. You say, how do you do that? Well, you just know where you end and another person begins. And that's the first step in being able to truly love a person. Because I'm not detached from you. I'm also not dependent on you. So Jairus can be frantic. He can be pulling. He can be begging. He can be saying, this is the most important thing. And that is what every single thing on your phone is telling you right now. This is the most important thing. And you say, no, it's not. I can, be, I can know what this is, but I'm not controlled. I'm not driven by this. And because Jesus moves through the world in this way, because he knows where he ends and another person begins, because he knows who he is and who he belongs to, he's able to do four things that I think the world needs and I think that we could all, <laughs> we could all stand to grow in. And I'll just put them up one at a time 
as we close. The first thing, because Jesus moved at a slow pace, he could choose people over productivity. I tend to, I tend to reverse that. In fact, I tend to think about how to even make people into things that I could be productive in. Like in, in that sense, like people become tasks, they become boxes that you can check off. Does that make sense to anyone? Like you actually begin to ask strategic questions like, is this strategically important for me to be with this person, to be present with this person right now? Jesus makes a very non-strategic move and he's just present with Jairus and then he's just present with the woman. Doesn't mean you don't do strategic planning. Doesn't mean you don't ever make decisions. Doesn't mean no one says no. It does mean though that the person in front of me is the person I'm supposed to be with in that moment. Not the person behind them. Not the person at the next appointment. I can choose people over productivity if I choose to move slowly through the world. The second thing that we can see from this story, because Jesus was moving at the pace that he was moving, he was accessible. Like the woman could reach him. If Jesus was hauling through that crowd and pushing people over like a linebacker, like he probably wouldn't have been able to be accessed. That woman could get to him. He was touchable. I can be in a, I, I, you know, I, I, I share really honestly about how, how not awesome I am as, as a dad. Like I can be in my house, but not be accessible at all. I can be, I can be in, my, in a meeting and not be accessible, have my mind be somewhere else, have my eyes be somewhere else. Jesus, because he was moving slowly and unhurried, he could be present, he could be accessible, people could reach him. Thirdly, because Jesus was moving in this way, he could be self-aware. He's able to say, energy went out from me. Are you aware of when energy goes out from you? Like, not just at the end of the day when you crash into bed, but I mean, like, throughout the day, can you even, like, do you have a close enough monitoring system on your own heart and soul to know, like, I'm expending a lot of energy right now. I'm going to need to replenish. Jesus, because he's moving at an unhurried pace, is able to be self-aware enough about his own self. And then finally, thirdly, Jesus, because he's moving slowly, he's able to take the time to be incredibly tender. He looked at this woman, a woman who had been cast out, who had been unable to go to synagogue for 12 years, and he calls her daughter. Can you imagine what that word would have meant to her? Like what it would have spoken over her heart in that moment, daughter. And then he goes into the house with the little girl, and he goes down beside her bed, and he takes her hand, and he says to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means essentially, honey, it's time to get up. Sweetheart, it's time to get up astonishingly tender. Why? Because Jesus wasn't in the next meeting already. He wasn't at the next thing already. He could just be here right now. And maybe this story of Jesus and this little girl is meant to be for us a call to a kind of life in which we're just present with the people in front of us and tender towards them and accessible and not always rushing to the next thing and not always too busy to stop. Maybe it's also a reminder that Jesus himself one day will look over your cold, lifeless body and bend down and whisper in your ear, honey, it's time to get up. And that is the person in control of your life right now. That's the person who's in charge of the timing in your life right now. That's the person who is sovereign, who is king, who is Lord over all the things that are happening or are not yet happening or may never happen in your life right now. And if you could just... Lean into that and relax into that. Isn't it possible that maybe 
some of the anxiousness, some of the hurriedness, some of the harriedness could just begin to wash off. Because my life is in the hands of someone who's moving at the pace that he needs to move to bring all things together so that one day he can whisper, honey, it's time to get up to each one of us. There's just a settling into unhurried rhythms of grace that God invites you and me into. I know that we're back, we're coming out of COVID. I know that a lot of us have already feel like we've lost sense of our schedule already. It's not too late to fall back into what's always been true. And that is that God invites you and me simply to move slow, to Sabbath, to rest, to pray, to nap, to escape, to be present, to tend to our hearts. We become less hurried, and the way of Jesus becomes easier to live. We have a hard time living in the unhurried rhythms of grace with Jesus because we're not unhurried. It takes time to slow down and do the things Jesus calls us to. It takes time to slow down and care about the things that we need to care about. Jesus was unhurried to the end. He took six hours to die on a cross. To the end, Jesus' work is unhurried. Even on the cross, he's attentive to the thief. He's present to the thief. He's present to his mother at the base of the cross. He's present to the mourning women in Jerusalem as he walks out. He's present to his own body, his own suffering. He's present to his father through the scriptures. And he comes to the very end of a long, gracious, unhurried life and says, it is finished. And three days later, his father rolls away a stone, leans over his cold body and says, my boy, it's time to get up. This is the story that we're living in. And all the other stories, all the urgency, all the bang, 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 pay attention, this matters, you don't care about anything if you don't care about this, all of that, <laughs> all of that fades into the background of a gentle, steady, unhurried, relaxed life in the Spirit, walking with Jesus at three miles an hour. Receive the benediction from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to the span of your life? Why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat or drink? What will we wear? For this is what the nations strive for, and your Father knows what you need. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus, we pray that wherever there are seeds and roots of anxiousness and fear and worry and us, panic, hurry, that those things too would submit and come under your good lordship, your good kingdom, and the promise of a good father. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Bless you all. Grace and peace. We'll see you uh, soon. See you next week. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.